Spencer Christian. I've been a broadcast journalist and weathercaster for more than 50 years. And over those years, I've met many remarkable people. Remarkable people with remarkable insight. Now, I'll be talking with them about the issues of the day and about their personal journeys. I'll even share a few of my own. So come join me after the weather, and we'll learn together. More than 400 years after the first African slaves were brought to America, and nearly 160 years after slavery was abolished, matters of race and racism are still challenging issues for our society. So challenging, in fact, that many people are uncomfortable even having a conversation about race. Well, my guest today is someone with whom I've had many conversations about race. He's my dear friend and ABC7 News colleague, Dan Ashley. We both grew up in the Old South in former Confederate states. Dan, a white kid from a family of privilege and North Carolina, and I, a poor black kid from Virginia, descended from slaves. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, Spencer, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You know, I want our listeners to understand in case they hear me call you Dash instead of Dan. As many do. (laughs) As many people do. A lot of us here call you that because it's a combination of Dan and Ashley. Right. And my nickname. And and your nickname. Right. (laughs) So we'll be calling you Dash. Thank you. Um, I've already explained that we're both sons of the South. You're from North Carolina. I'm from Virginia. Uh, It's fair to say you grew up in a, a white family of privilege. And I grew up in a poor rural black family. And our generations overlap a little bit. That's I'm right. older than you. 15 um, years, I think. You have. Uh, yeah, 15, maybe 16, yeah. I think. 16. But I want to know, at what age did you first realize uh, that, or did you first become aware of race and racism? You know, that's a great question, Spencer. And I'm so glad to get to talk about this because I think it is so important. Uh, it's so timely now, but it's been important for a long, long time. Yes, it has. <laughs> and, and often not talked about enough. Yeah. You know, I, I think I, I did grow up in a, in a household. My father was a professor, university professor. We were not wealthy, but he was well to do. He, we, we, he was affluent. We did fine, but he was not a wealthy man. But right. I, I grew up not only comfortable uh, economically, but I grew up in an educated household yeah. and in an educated community, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which, as you well know, is a bit of an oasis yeah. in North it's Carolina. Really certainly at that time, things have changed significantly now. But, yeah. Uh, you know, Duke University, of course, home of the Tar Heels, uh, UNC and NC State surrounding this Raleigh-Durham area that mm-hmm. was quite progressive at that time and still is today. Uh, I was probably aware. I'll tell you a story that, yeah. that stuck with me. About 40 percent of my high school was African-American, was black, 60 mm-hmm. percent white. I went to public high school and uh, it was a good public high school. And there weren't many uh, significant Asian or Hispanic population at that time. There were right. some, but it was largely black and white, as much of the South was when we grew up. In those days, that's in true. Those days. Yeah. And I remember, so I grew up with lots of black kids and black friends and hanging out with black kids. So, so it wasn't a huge deal to me. And of course, being in Chapel Hill, uh, it was a little different than other parts of the yeah. South. Yeah. But I remember very vividly, when I was in the seventh grade, middle school, so I'm what, probably 12 about at that mm-hmm, time, mm-hmm. I heard at school a black joke. Mm. And I came home and at dinner with my three siblings who were younger and my mother and father, I thought, I'll tell this black joke I heard, this funny joke. So I told this joke. Um, and I remember my father, the educator, mm-hmm. didn't say sternly, didn't say in anger. 
but said with that educator's voice mm-hmm. and in a very serious tone after the punchline of what, and I can't for the life of me remember what this joke was, but he said, we don't tell those jokes. Ah. And I went from feeling the big man on campus with a funny joke I heard at school to yeah. feeling two feet tall. Right, right. And I never forgot that lesson. And I never repeated that. I, you know, it was it was a really interesting. So that was when I really realized, oh, yeah, there are offenses to be taken here and yes. lines to be crossed. And I, so that was yeah. probably a, a big moment for me in terms of re- understanding the complicated nature of race relations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I can recall at about age four going into I think it was a bank with my dad uh, and remember how rigidly segregated the South was when I was growing up uh, in the I was a, a young kid in the in the early 1950s and I remember I reached for like a little piece of paper or something that was up on the on the uh, counter where my dad was writing his check and he said oh you can't touch that and and I, I had seen some other kids some white kids touching those things mm. and I said why can't I touch it he said no we, we can't touch those things and then I recall when I was again four five years old we'd go into a department store and if I had to go to the bathroom uh, you know they had signs saying white and colored and the white bathrooms always seemed so clean and well maintained and the black bathrooms and, and oh they said colored in those days mm-hmm. and the water fountain always seemed to have been allowed to fall into a state of disrepair. And I'm sure they had. Yeah, and they had. And and so I was very aware at an early age that there were places I couldn't go and things I couldn't touch just because of the color of my skin. It's, you know, you've told, we've talked about this so much, Spencer, and fortunately, or maybe not fortunately, but fortunately, I didn't grow up with white only signs. Yeah, right, right. That That was disappearing. That was disappearing by the time I was coming of age. Yes. And but you're one of my dearest friends in the world. We've been friends for a long time. We travel together. We spend a lot of time together. Yeah. And I I hear those stories and it still to this day breaks my heart. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And I, I, you know, of course, I feel terrible that you you had to experience that or anybody has to experience. And of course, you've. Uh, risen well above those those terrible days in that respect but it still is it, it's so inconceivable yeah. to me uh that because you bring it home in a real way it's yeah. not something in a history book yeah it's something yeah. a dear friend of mine lived through and yeah. it, you also tell the story you couldn't try on clothing at oh store. if you were black and went into uh, like a sears or jc penny the places we shopped in those days um you were now we're talking about the 1950s when i was a young kid and into the 1960s when i was in college um if you were black you were not allowed to try on clothes in most stores because anything that touched your skin left the store with you you had to pay for it um now of course that there were some exceptions uh, i recall Going out, going to this um, this shoe store in Richmond, Virginia, which is very near where I grew up, and I forget the exact name of the store, but it, the owners obviously had a Jewish name, like Siegel Brothers or something right. like that. That was the only place in town that treated us the way everyone else was treated. Really, you could try on it, anything you wanted. You were not made to feel any different. But but you know, I, I you touched on something important there, talking about the lesson you learned from your dad when you told that joke at, at dinner. It, I, I think education makes a huge difference, doesn't it? It does. I mean, you, does. you didn't grow up in what would we call a redneck family. You grew no. up in a sophisticated, educated family. You know, and one of the things I'm most grateful for yeah. is is the the privilege mm-hmm. of education. 
yeah. you, you and I are fortunate. In yeah. Respect. yeah, we, are. we have education and we value education and learning. And that opens a lot of doors yeah. and and creates a lot of possibilities, not only in the real world, but in your mind and your imagination. You don't limit yourself. And it's interesting yeah. you mentioned the Jewish uh, uh, shoe store. Another group that was treated so shabbily at times. Yeah understood right and and, and treated right. you more fairly throughout all of recorded human history jews have been persecuted right and so there is um it's common within the jewish culture not that there aren't jews who are bigoted but it's common within the jewish culture to have a commitment to social justice and you know equal treatment under the law and all that you know what and I, so jews you know were a huge part of the civil rights movement yeah that's true yeah. i mean because they certainly could relate to the kind of persecution yeah. and and, yeah. and uh, racism and, and bigotry that happened you know it it, and I was on a panel not long ago when I made this point. I'd love to make here if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. I, I, we've had this complicated relationship with race in this country, not just black and white. You know, look what we did to the Japanese during World oh, War II, gosh, yeah. uh, Chinese, on and on, Jewish people, Irish mm -hmm. people, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. 100 years ago. And, and the point I made at an, another roundtable on this very topic not long ago there's something innate, unfortunately, in human nature that we divide each other up. Yeah. Right? And it just happens to be black and white a lot of times. Yeah. But yeah. if if and the point I made was if somebody waved a magic wand and there were only white males left in America, <laughs> do you think we would all get along? No, no. It would be a week. Yeah. And then we're picking on the short people. Exactly. Or the heavy people. <laughs> right. Or the guys with blonde hair. Yeah. There's something about human nature yeah. that just compels us. I'm, I'm glad you said that because, you know, we talked earlier about the importance of education, but there are educated bigots, too. Oh, no question. I mean, you look no at question. some of our political leaders who are, you know, have all kinds of degrees, but they play on the, the divisions mm -hmm. in our society. They play on racism and ignorance and fear. Um, so, you know, even education doesn't always solve the problem. No, I agree. That's a well-made yeah. point. You're absolutely right. And, and sometimes, and it's even less excusable yeah. that it's ever excusable. Exactly. It's even less so. And those people you mentioned are political leaders who trade on that yeah are like those those old tv ministers that traded on yeah, people's that's right vulnerabilities yeah. uh you know they take advantage mm -hmm. and even if and i firmly some of them are actual bigots yeah some yeah, of them, some of them are, are not. Yeah. Some of them are just cynical and they use it for that's, political that's, that's a good I'll point. Mention. That's a good I point. Some of them don't even fully believe. Many do. Yeah. But it, some of them are so cynical, they just use it. They're just for their being, own advantage. Yeah. They're just being cynically manipulative. Yeah. Which is it was just another big problem. Yeah. But, you know, getting back to how you described the area in which you grew up, surrounded by universities, uh, you know, uh, sort of a center of academia and all yeah. that. Um, it, I, I'm impressed by the, the lesson that you learned from your dad at that dinner. Uh, but nonetheless, North Carolina as a state put up some major resistance no to civil rights and desegregation well into the 1970s. And I just uh, apart from uh, that one experience with, with your dad at dinner, I, I just wonder how it is you grew up with such um, an enlightened view, for lack of a better word. Well, that's a, I, I thank you. I, I like to think I do have an enlightened view and that I'm fair minded and all of that. And, and we all have our own idiosyncrasies, I suppose. But. I, you know, I, I would credit the household I grew up in. Yeah. And, you know, my father immigrated here from Egypt uh, and and English was not even his first language. Wow. He was, a, you know, uh, he was a, a educated man, professor and all of that or became a professor. But mm -hmm. so uh, my mother was my mother grew up in rural North Carolina. 
You knew my, you knew my, uh, I knew she your passed mom. Away yes. fast. She, and, and I loved her dearly. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. She, she yeah. adored you. She was a very intelligent, like high IQ off the charts person. Yeah. Um, she passed away five years ago in May. And, uh, but she grew up in rural uh, North Carolina where there was much more of that oh, yeah. bigotry that you talk about. But my mother, uh, was highly educated. And she also, when she was a student, she was valedictorian of her high school class. She went to University of North Carolina, Greensboro for the first three years because Carolina had not yet started to accept women. Oh, UNC yeah, that's Hill. right. Yeah. The first year they did was the year she went. Right. And she graduated there. But she participated in civil rights marches and, and efforts in Greensboro when she was there. And of course, it was a big hub of uh, civil mm -hmm. rights activity. So I think she brought a sensibility to it as well. And then, uh, frankly, growing up in a community, as I said, my high school was 40 percent roughly black. Yeah. 60 percent white. And in that you know, Chapel Hill is a little like Berkeley, liberal college yeah. town. Yeah, that's and, right. And I think that environment, you know, kind of you grew up in that environment, sort of created that uh, outlook on your part. Yeah. And then you're talking about how your outlook developed. And my outlook uh, was largely influenced by my parents also, despite the fact that we faced these indignities every day. Uh, and that's a mild way of putting it. I mean, th there were threats. And, sure. uh, we didn't face threats every day, but, you know, there were lynchings going on all through the South. Black people were being treated horribly throughout the South. Uh, I didn't experience any of that. I just experienced the the, uh, you know, occasional slur or insult or, you know, you can't go here. You're not welcome there. But despite facing that every day when I left home, when my brother and I returned home from school every day to our family, our parents gave us somehow they instilled in us this positive, um, aspirational view of the world. And I recall, um, you know, family dinner after family dinner, we would sit and watch the, the national news every night as the civil rights movement was unfolding. And my parents would point to every little stride forward as a reason to be hopeful, a reason to be optimistic, a reason to to get prepared, be prepared for those opportunities that were going to come your way. So, you know, it, it's not like I had I was looking at the world through rose colored glasses. No, you know, I, f I felt a certain level of moral outrage and indignation that I was being treated like a second second class citizen in most places that I went to. Mm. But I had this belief that, you know, we would somehow grow and mature and become better as a society. Well, you know what I find interesting and we've talked about this is given those experiences that you had, mm -hmm. totally different than what I had. Yeah. You are one of the most, you know, you're, one, you're like <laughs> my mother off the charts smart, but one of the kindest, warmest uh, people that I know, curious I appreciate and that. optimistic you are. And yeah. you you would be justified in having a chip on your shoulder. And I'm sure there there's elements of anger still in there somewhere that are, you know, resentments deep in the past or whatever of slights that happened to you. But by and large, you have risen above all of that. Yeah. How did you do that? Well, largely is, is the parental influence. I mean, it's the values my parents taught me. But uh, but those values come from our faith. You know, we're we're we are real Christians, not just those who you know, talk the talk. <laughs> but, not just your last name. Right. Your exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, if you if you study your life of, life of Jesus, he didn't just hang out with the, you know, the, the hoity toity and right. the you know the powerful people. He hung out with the people on the street. Um, but it my parents always taught that despite the fact that we face these injustices and we have a right to feel a certain amount of outrage over that, sure. always treat everyone else the way you want to be treated. I I know it sounds so so poly 
Pollyanna ish, right? It doesn't really. But that's a, yeah. If you embrace that as a central value in your life, that prepares you to deal with a lot of difficulty and adversity. Right. You know. And I suppose that at the end of the day, if you don't do that, you you make yourself unhappy. Yeah. You allow yeah. those injustices and indignities to continue to uh, inflict pain on you the rest of your life right you give give them power you do that's right you give them power don't give them the power to do that yeah you know uh, your outlook came from your parents yeah a a large part of it and your faith yeah oh yeah you have two incredible uh children who i adore as you know (laughs) thank you Uh, jessica and jason they're terrific uh adults i have two sons as you know uh adult sons yeah parker and bennett (laughs) thank you what did you do uh to create that same sort of environment for your kids that you had as a child, right. as a young person growing up, although you, they grew up, Jessica and uh, uh, Jason, Jason yeah. uh, grew up with affluence. Yeah, they were privileged. They were yeah. privileged. Yeah. How, yeah. Did, how did you carry that forward, especially in this complicated time? Yeah. It, it's, it was all about family, generations of family. If, if my kids had known only the world immediately surrounding them, uh, a world of, you know, affluent suburban life, going to private schools and all that. Um, I, I'm not sure how they would have turned out, but uh, both sets of grandparents were from the old South. Mm. And when we would go back and visit family and visit my parents and my kids' grandparents, they got to see where I grew up and what it was like and hear stories from the grandparents wow. about, you know, race and racism. So they grew up, uh, you know, with an understanding of how difficult, I mean, to the extent that they could understand it, not having experience experienced it themselves, right. they grew up knowing that their parents and their grandparents had really had to overcome some some heavy obstacles to, to make it in the world and to survive uh, and to reach a point where they could they could pass on a, a positive uh, view of life to their kids. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I had to have the talk, you know, with my kids, especially my son, because, you know, black men aren't always treated well by police. So you had the and, talk with Jason. Oh, oh, and it's not just one talk. Oh. It's it's an ongoing talk about being careful. If you get stopped, be sure that your hands are on the wheel in a place where, you know, no one can mistake you for reaching for something, a weapon or something. Sure. Yeah, it was an ongoing talk as they reach driving age. Um, I had I, to talk with my kids, believe it or not, for yeah. different reasons. Just, you, yeah. Act appropriately. Exactly. Act appropriately. Right. Yeah. And at the same time that we're having this talk, you know, it can be complicated because you're trying to warn them of potential dangers, threats to their well-being. But you also don't want them to grow up thinking that all cops are bad. Right. Right. So you have to explain that the world is out to get them. Exactly. Right. Right. So just as as you explained that every person in the world you meet isn't going to be nice to you. You know, every every cop is not your enemy. Every white person is not your enemy. These are lessons my parents taught me. Those are lessons I had to pass on to my kids. And now I'm a grandparent. Right. And I'm a grandparent of biracial kids. Right. Now, they live in the greater Boston area, which is, you know, a liberal area, a progressive area. That doesn't mean that they won't encounter you know, some racism uh, because they're half black and half Jewish. Right. You know, right. So I, it's a, it's an ongoing concern and an ongoing conversation, I think, that you have with your kids and your grandkids to just prepare them for bumps in the road. Well, but both Jessica and Jason do have that uh, sense of humor about life, sense yeah. of uh, openness about life. Mm-hmm. As they I do. know them, uh, an optimistic outlook. They have not been uh, uh 
burdened or, or in terms of changing their outlook on life and right. letting anything beat them down. They're very positive like you. So you clearly yeah, are. pass yeah. that along to them. And I give credit to, to my my uh, ex-wife, Diane, also, who was a wonderful mom and um, and still is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, so it wasn't, you know, I, I can't take all the credit. Sure. I, I she we did a great job of parenting, I think, as a team. Yeah. You know, it, it's just so and, and, and I know we there's so much talk in the country now about uh, uh, equity and inclusion as there should be. Mm-hmm. And we still have such a long way to go. I, I'm always I always come back to what, one of my favorite quotes, oddly, are the immortal words of Rodney King. Of all <laughs> my gosh, yes. Can't we all just, just get, get along? It's such a simple statement. Yeah. That's so true, isn't it? That, yes. That can't we all just get along? And I know that, that, that I'm so glad we're having these conversations more in this country now. Yeah. And we need to have a lot more of them. We We can't create a world uh, we can't guarantee equality of outcome only right. equality of opportunity right and and that no one is held back because of race or sexual orientation or gender right uh, that that any limitation in someone's life it, they put on themselves no one else overlays on top of it. I'm, I'm glad you said we're glad uh, you're glad we're having this conversation because it's a conversation that more people need to have. Mm -hmm. And there are so many well-intentioned, well-meaning people out there who believe in racial justice, believe in racial harmony, but they don't know what to do or say for fear of saying the wrong thing or maybe unintentionally, uh, inadvertently offending someone or seeming uh, patronizing. What advice do we give to those people who really want to reach out and connect? Well, I think that's that's a great question. I think the best advice is to follow your gut and follow your heart as well as your mind, mm-hmm. uh, but to be uh, to be sensitive, to be proactive, but also don't be too fearful. Jump into the pool. Right. And and I think as a white male in in candor, wait, wait. We, you're white. <laughs> <laughs> I always think of you as my brother. <laughs> I am your brother from another mother. There's yes, no question about that. But no, you, sometimes you do feel like, oh, gosh, I, maybe I shouldn't insert myself in this conversation or maybe I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want I don't want to appear that I don't get it or that I, I you know, I, I'm not sympathetic. Yeah. So I think the best advice I would give anyone jump into the conversation. And, and, and just follow what you think is right yeah. and, and, and be supportive, be proactive and, and get involved and have the conversation. Don't be afraid to have the conversation. And sometimes you may yeah. in conversation offend someone or get offended. Yeah. But if that's not your intention, you can you can work your way out of that with that person and build an understanding. Do you ever fear, Dan, Dash, <laughs> that uh, that in many ways or in some ways as a society we're falling back. We're, we're regressing. I mean, look at all these states, a lot of them in the South, yeah. passing these restrictive voting laws. And it's it's clear what the objective is, to, you know, to diminish no the power of the black vote or the liberal vote or whatever. And to retain and their retain power. power yeah, right. That's what this is all about. You know, it's funny that the, you, you, you see the middle every time the pendulum swings past. Right? Yeah, you do. And, and we're swinging in one direction. I have uh, it, I definitely think we're turning backwards in many ways. I don't think we're turning backwards permanently. Right. Uh, you know, my my optimistic nature believes that we will find our right and wrong will find its own level and that we will swing back. Yeah. So at the moment, we're heading in this direction that is a little troublesome. I don't think that's permanent, but the damage can be lasting. You know? Oh, yeah. And that we can we can do some lasting damage in this process. But I do believe uh, talking about it, asking hard questions 
good, honest reporting and journalism about it. All of those things uh, can can help make a difference in terms of, quote unquote, writing the ship or making yeah. sure we don't head down a, a direction that is counterproductive or dangerous or destructive for the country. Yeah, you know, I, I, I totally agree with you about the pendulum and about seeing the middle as you swing <laughs> in each direction. Uh, and, you know, I can't wait to get back to the middle. Right. But right. we'll swing right past it again. Exactly. <laughs> we will. We will indeed. I know. It, it does concern me a great deal, though, that um, there's so many uh, political leaders uh, at state and local levels who are now trying to rewrite the history books and, and whitewash, no pun intended, yeah. but, but whitewash our history and get rid of reliable textbooks and 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 other works of literature that simply acknowledge that we've had some ugliness in our history, uh, but that we can rise above it. You know, I mean, the, the Germans aren't getting rid of textbooks that teach that. Not at all. They once had Hitler as their ruler. So why can't we as a great society uh, acknowledge the injustices, not just of the distant past, but of the recent past, sure. you know, a hundred years of, of Jim Crow after slavery was abolished, um, you know, uh, it, ongoing efforts now to negate the, the advances made in the civil rights movement. Um, we need to acknowledge that. Right. Well, I think, you know, what, what is this saying? If those who don't remember history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And, and I always uh, think when someone wants to shut you down or shout you down or, as you say, ban a book or, or, or rewrite history, yeah. what are you afraid of? Why yeah. are you afraid of the truth? That's telling. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to acknowledge the truth, if we can't really have a conversation about the truth, what are you hiding? What are you protecting? Yeah. What are you trying to be dishonest about? So I, I am concerned about that. I, I think. Uh, and you mentioned uh, Germany is a great example. They sort of embrace is the wrong word, but they acknowledge openly yes. what happened. Yeah. And as a result, they've demystified it. Yeah. And, and and we are kind of moving in that opposite direction and denying reality and denying truth. That said, I don't think we need to dwell on it 24-7 all the time. Right, right. You know, we, we have other things to worry about, but we can't we can't hide our past and run from our past or deny our past. We can't. And, you know, yeah, no. you and I have had this conversation. I'd love your thoughts on this point. Um, well, obviously, slavery was just a scourge on this planet, certainly a scourge in this country, and has lasting to this day impacts that we don't often discuss, honestly. Right. Uh, and we can discuss that if you want to have some thoughts on that. But but um, and I feel terrible about that. But but I feel worse in some ways about how. Uh, black people have been treated in the 50s, 60s, 70s. We, it was that was a different time. That is not to defend it. That was yeah. a different era in human history. Right. We know better today. Yeah, you know, yeah, know and, and, and and we knew better then too. But but you know, take my meaning that yeah. that uh, we should be so well beyond it. Now. Absolutely, and that troubles me. Yeah, it, it, it troubles me a lot. Also, and and it troubles me that there are people who uh, buy the argument that if we acknowledge and uh, teach our history, honestly, that will make the white kids feel guilty like they've done something. No, 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 no. no. That's that's not true. Hey, if you've got a good teacher in the classroom and a, and a reasonable textbook there, right. you're just learning about the things that happened in our past that have put us where we are now. Right. That's basically what it no, is. No, and an understanding. I couldn't agree more. There's nothing for any white person today to feel guilty about. Right. It was happened a long time ago. But but what, what we should feel bad about is if we don't acknowledge things and, and right. improve things yeah. um, uh, and, and work to make things better. And as right. I say, you know, it says in the Constitution, uh, 
it doesn't say we're going to create a perfect unit, just a more perfect right. unit. That's we're never right. going to get to perfect. That's right. That's we're, exactly we're right. We're always going to be struggling to get to more perfect. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. And and the other line that I love, Spencer, you've heard me use this many times, and it, it is a Pollyannish line in a way, but it's so true and I believe it. Nothing wrong with America that can't be fixed by what is right with America. Oh, I have heard you use that line, and it's so true. You know, yeah. as, as difficult circumstances as we have overcome, we at least overcame them yeah. in many respects, or we've dealt with them. We can continue to deal with them. Uh, you know, other countries, that's not always the case. So yeah. there's a lot to feel good about, even in the troubling times that we live in, yeah. you know, and a lot to be optimistic about. May I share one more story? Sure. Oh, please do. Please but do. Just another life lesson yeah. that this was probably 26 or seven years ago. I was a reporter over in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've had these experiences, probably not as much in recent times, but when you're a kid, certainly, I don't mm -hmm. speak for you. Sure. But, but I was in Oakland and I was interviewing, I was in an African-American family's home, uh, you know, modest home doing a story. I don't remember what the story was. And there was an old man there. And it was, and perhaps this was just my interpretation, but I believe it to be true. He clearly didn't like me. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was fine. And it seemed very clear that he just didn't like a white guy in his house. Yeah. And that's yeah. okay. That's fine. But, but I remember thinking as I left, boy, he doesn't even know me. And he disliked me. As he got to know me, he might like me. And I remember thinking at that moment, what a yucky feeling that is. Yeah. To, uh, and, and I said, that's how I have, it reminded me how many African-Americans felt the same way mm -hmm. where they were judged and disliked because of the color of their skin. Yeah. And this was only one minor little thing in my life that's never had that kind of experience before. But it was a it was a sobering little reminder yeah. of what so many black people have to deal with regularly. Yeah. It, that I never forgot. It was it was, it, was an, it awakened that your understanding reawakened because yeah. you already had the understanding. I had understanding, but, but it really but in a real way, reminder wow, that really does hurt. Yeah. And, and again, it was a minor slide. I don't want no, to compare still, it to anything. But, but, but but it, no, no, no. Right? But it, 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 it hurt. Yeah. Anyway. Of course it hurts. Yeah. It hurts. But you know, you and I, Dash, have always had this uh, ease of conversation about sensitive topics. <laughs> Not just because we're friends, but we we were able to engage at this level way when we first got to know each other. Decades ago. But yeah, before we became really good friends. Right. Um, wouldn't it be great if getting back to what we were discussing earlier, if you know this could be a model for other people, just uh, as you said, lean into it. You know, just have the courage to take that first step to start a conversation, just to to promote a little bit of understanding and and harmony. Yeah, it would be. And I think I, I always I often think, you know, people go to work every day tend to to tend to uh, be around a different group of people all the time, and that's helpful. Right. It, but if more of us socialized together, lived in the same communities, yeah. you know, went to the same restaurants for meals, hung out together. That would change a lot, I think. And I, I think, you know, sometimes you still go into a room and, and a cafeteria or something and, and you still see a little bit of segregation. Yeah, you on, do. Just naturally. Right. That's you know, true. Just naturally, yeah. you know, it, and, and I just think the more we spend time with each other in conversation, breaking bread, hanging out, you know, playing sports, having time with families, that breaks down those barriers. Doing podcasts. Doing podcasts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially so, podcasts. So, well, the bottom line here is that we are two optimistic guys. That is true. Uh, even in the face of political leaders who've said things like they're good people on both sides. Right. Uh, you know, we, we live in an era of craziness right now in our country uh, when the, the ugliness of racism seems to be rearing its head again. But despite all that, um, I sense that you feel, as I do, that we can overcome that. 
I, I truly believe that we can. I know that we will, in mm -hmm. fact. I, and not to say that won't happen without some more bruises mm -hmm. and, and scars and problems and, and effects. But ultimately, I think we will. Yeah. We've overcome worse in the past. Yeah. You know, what we're going through now isn't any worse than what we've overcome in the past, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. It's it just we should know better now. It's just a shame to be going backwards. But uh, but I do believe that we'll get through it. And, and there's no choice but to try and to yeah. be optimistic. We could all go hide in our homes and you know, put our heads in the sand. That's not going to help. You know, if we quit, yeah. you know, we, we lose. You're right. <laughs> no matter what the topic is or how uh, challenging it may be, uh, Dan Ashley always ends on a positive note, <laughs> which is why I love you, my dear friend. I love you. Too, Thank you Spencer. so much for joining Thank us. <laughs> yes, I am. I mean, he is. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you to our guest for joining us today, and thank you for listening. After the Weather is a product of ABC7. Be sure to subscribe, and if you liked our program, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.